So James chapter 5, as we continue our journey through this letter, we're going to see today in verses 1 through 6, the wealthy who are wicked, and so they need to be warned. And then we're going to see in verses 7 through 8, the brethren who are burdened and how they need to be patient. And so we're talking about the wealthy. And I don't know, just curious, like who would you categorize as a wealthy person? You know, and I know it's a relative concept, like who's really wealthy? Are we wealthy maybe here in America uh, with the running water and the car, electricity, um, stuff like that, cell phones, um, access to so much medical uh, help? Um, I don't know. I, I do know I was reading online. They said if you uh, want to be considered wealthy in America, you have to make $2 million. You have to have $2 million in the bank. And so anyone here? I'm just curious. I want to be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> no. They say that if you have $2 million, you can live off maybe the interest. You can put it in the right spot, maybe get like 6% back, and you know that brings in about $10,000 a month. You wouldn't have to work anymore if you had that much money. And so, you know, but most Americans obviously are, are not rich like that. As a matter of fact, they say in America, 60% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. And so they don't have really a whole lot in the savings account, and they end up basically coming to a place where if I don't get paid, then I'm not going to be able to pay my bills. And so um, what we find in this right here, James, you know, you might say, well, I'm not wealthy, and so it's not applicable to me. Um, but who knows, maybe one day you'll, you'll get wealthy, you'll have an inheritance, or, or I don't know. You know, we're, we're going to learn how to, to do money because that money, it ain't your money. That's God's money. And, and so if I give someone $1,000, I say, hey, can you go down here and get you know, a few things at Sam's Club? You know, your responsibility is to do what you know, the owner says you're supposed to do with the money. Sometimes money messes us up. And so there's going to be some principles that we'll be able to glean, even if we don't consider ourselves wealthy. But if you ever do, and all the wealthy people out there that they think they're so big and, and great and successful and they're so prideful... One day, they're going to stand before God. And it's going to be crazy what's going to happen. All those people that a lot of us, for whatever reason, we look up to them and we want you know, their Lamborghini or we want their million-dollar mansion. And, and you know, what we're going to see today, man, that's a crazy place to be. You might not want that as much as you think you do. And so you know, the wealth, it's important for us to get that right to be wise and rise up to God's standards when it comes to the wealth. And then, and then you know, he talks about the brothers that are burdened. And so the sisters that are suffering, we go through things. We get wronged in life. Uh, as a matter of fact, there's a word long-suffering, wrong-suffering. Um, and so you might be impetuous. You might say, well, I'm just going to go out and do this. And, and what James is going to say is just wait. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. He's coming. He's coming. And he's going to make everything right. It's amazing. Look what we read here in verse 1. He says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are corrupted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like what? fire 
You have heaped up treasures in the last days. Indeed, the wages of the laborers who, who mowed or worked or harvested your fields, which you kept back by fraud, they cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth, or the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies, the Lord of, of war. He says right there, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. You have fattened your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered who? The just. He does not even resist you. He can't. There's a lot of people out there like this. And so in looking at this, let me give you guys four things about the wealthy, wicked. And what James is kind of dealing with here, number one is the warning. The warning. Number two is the witness. All that riches having me a witness against them one day, believe it or not. Number three are the wrongs they do. You know, whether it be not paying their you know, employees or even murdering. And then number four is the war. The, these wealthy, wicked who think they're all that, they're actually fighting against God. It's a war against God. It's crazy. Look what we read here and again in verse 1, the, the warning, come now you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are, are coming upon you. James here issues a really heavy warning that if they don't change, they would spend eternity in misery. And so he's telling them now, you should start now, you know, weeping and howling. The, the word is talking about this gr loud grief that, that's just, man, it's crazy how he challenges them to start thinking about these things. And he doesn't necessarily say it explicitly, but he does implicitly. And, you know, I don't want to sound like, hard-hearted, but the truth is, it's the truth that if you don't turn, you're going to burn. That's what he says. That's what he says. There is a real place called heaven. You believe in heaven, right? And there's a real place called hell where it's eternity apart from God. And so he's, that, that's the warning. That's the warning. And, and then the witness. Again, look at Verse 2, you, your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion, notice, will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. So he not only warns them, he informs them, right, that their riches would rot, their fancy clothes would be consumed by moths, that their gold and silver, in which they put all their trust, would rust one day. And all that money would be no benefit in the world to come. As a matter of fact, uh, their riches wouldn't be an indictment in the end. It would actually be like calling witnesses against them in the heavenly court accusations that would one day fan the flames of the fires of hell. Now, sometimes people, they want, oh, I want to get all that money and you're hoarding it up for yourself and, and stuff and you think it's all great when in all reality what James says is you're fattening yourself for the slaughter. Think about that. You guys know how in those days they would have the calf and they would set it aside and they would feed it extra. They would feed it extra, right? And you're wondering, well, what is it about that calf? Is he special? Do they like him? No, they're actually fattening it up so that they can slaughter it and eat it. That's what James is saying. These wicked, wealthy people are experiencing. Notice the, the wrongs that they commit. First of all, there, there's, there's a few things. Number one is the, the, the guilt of greed. 
the guilt of greed. He says, your, your gold, your silver, they're corrupted. In verse 3, their corrosion will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last day. There's this heaping up. There's this, you know, like saving up beyond the norm. You know, don't get me wrong, you guys. I think you guys probably know it's good to have a savings account. Some of you guys, you can't. And the Lord knows, and he has you there. Proverbs talks about that. Sometimes it's better to be that way. But if you can, I think it's good to have a savings account. Anyone agree? Just curious. You're like, I try, but I can't. But yeah, that would be nice. (laughs) You know, they say somewhere around six months, you know, because if something happens, then you're in good shape. But, you know, when is enough enough? When is like, man, now I'm going to start giving. Now I'm going to start, you know, helping people. When is he now? He's going to talk about that, how they're, how they're guilty of, of greed. You know, these wealthy ones are wicked. They heaped up treasure for themselves. It even says in the, in the last days, which is something that's ushered in at the coming of Jesus. And so he's referring to the wealthy who are unwilling to share in, in any way. They're heaping up treasures for themselves. I will say this as a quick side note. You know, I have this uh, um, software for my finances, and so I put everything in, and I categorize everything. And at the end of the month, I look at a pie chart, and I can tell exactly where everything has gone. And so one of the tragic things about some people is that you can look at all their money, and it's all for themselves. All for them, nothing for the Lord, nothing for others. Beware of greed. That was one of the things they did wrong. They were guilty of greed. They were also guilty of fraud, not paying their workers. You know, we have gardeners, finally. I got a pretty big yard, and I used to do it for a long time, and I tried to get my son to do it, and couldn't pay him enough, really. So anyways, we ended up with the gardeners, and these guys are hardworking, man. They come, and they got a lot to do, and they don't get paid a lot. I'm sure they don't. You know, and they're, even they're, the way they bill us, the way they invoice us, you know, they'll put a letter here, an envelope there, and it might be easy to one day say, hey, you know what, um, I forgot to pay you or something. But then I think of this verse, and I'm like, hey, give me that checkbook, man. I've got to make sure that these guys get paid. In those days, they would pay every single day. Every single day they were supposed to get paid. But let's just say one day, go, I don't have the money today. Oh, okay, comes the next day. And, you know, and that happens a few times. Next thing you know, it adds up. These guys were filthy rich, but they weren't willing to pay their employees. And so, you know, right here, James is talking about what they're guilty of. They're guilty of fraud. Leviticus 19.13, it says, You shall not cheat your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. I mean, you got to pay him when it's due, right? They were guilty of greed, guilty of fraud. They were guilty of indulgence. Notice again what he says right here in verse 5, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury. Now, and now again, this is difficult because, you know, we want to have a good time. You know, there's there's a place for pleasure. There's, you know, entertainment. Nothing wrong with that. And, and luxury, well, how do you identify luxury exactly? You want, you want to know how you identify luxury, like when you're going beyond what you should be going by? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will be the one to say, that's enough. That's enough luxury. 
I can't tell you. Your friend can't tell you. I think God is the one that will be able to tell you. But all I know is that these people, they got so much money and this crazy luxury. Um, you know, that's something between them and the Lord. But man, imagine if, and I'm not talking about giving to people who, who won't work. I'm talking about giving to people who can't work. What about helping them? Do you realize that 11% of the world goes to bed hungry every single night? Empty stomachs. So, so, you know, these guys, they were guilty of greed, guilty of fraud, guilty of indulgence, and then they were guilty of injustice. You know, we read that right here, how they had condemned the just. We see there in verse 6, they murdered the just. You know, probably bribing their way through life. I got enough money. I mean, you name it. You can buy your college entrance. You got enough money. You can buy the judge. You can buy the jury. You got enough money. Eventually, you can buy a hitman, and he can kill somebody. I mean, it's not the thug. It's not the bad guy always. 40% of all murders don't even get solved. So there are people with money who are guilty of greed and fraud and indulgence and injustice. You know, the Jewish commentaries, it's interesting, when you read the Jewish commentaries on the Old Testament, they said that if you were one of those who charged high interest on loans, then you were to be banished from God's presence. And so imagine there you are, and I don't know, you're a poor person, and You know, you're working hard, but it's just not working out. And there you are, you're caught between a rock and a hard spot. And so you have to go and you get a loan. And, you know, next thing you know, the guy's saying, okay, well, I guess I'll give you the loan, but I'll charge you 20% interest. When he's got $20 million in the bank, ripping people off. You know, sometimes you go and you want to buy something, you know, and the salesman, he'll, he'll sell you for as high of a price that he can. Is that right? Well, it's business. Hey, one day, he's talking about these, the, the guilt of, of injustice. You know, for them, the golden rule is he who has the gold rules. You know, it's tough for a lot of people. As a matter of fact, when James is talking right here, he's talking about how they're, you know, they're, they're wronging the poor. You know, Proverbs 14.31, it says, He who oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he who honors him has mercy on the needy. There's a very special place in God's heart. And if you read your Bible, you know what I'm talking about. How he just has a, a special place in his heart for maybe the, maybe the single mom or maybe the individual who's, who lost their job or maybe that individual, like I said earlier, they're, 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 they, they can't work. God sees all that. And, and so he says, you know, when you honor them, it blesses the Lord. But if you oppress them, man, you're going to make God mad. Proverbs 22, 22, it says, Do not rob the poor because he's poor, nor oppress the afflicted at the gate. For the Lord will plead their cause and plunder the soul of those who plunder them. So you, you plunder them. You get their money. And God says, I'm going to deal with your soul. Imagine that. See, when we're talking about all these wealthy, wicked, unrighteous, rich people, you may not want to be in their shoes as much as you think you might. I mean, they're guilty of murder. And so, you know, we read the war there in verse 4 of James chapter 5. 
Indeed, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, you didn't pay them, they cry out, and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Now, the word Sabaoth is actually a transliteration of a Hebrew word, which is in reference to armies, the, the Lord's armies, and it includes the angels, of course, but it ultimately represents the one who is supreme over the innumerable hosts of spiritual armies from heaven. So all I know is that you have to be careful with that. You know, right here, he talks about the fatted calf. And notice again in verse 5, you have lived on the earth in pleasure and luxury you, what, it, what, what, is, what is he saying? What does that mean? This is what it means, because a lot of times I don't think people realize pleasure, luxury, indulgence, money, what, it, what God sees it as is you're, you're fattening yourself as in the day of slaughter. You know, again, um, he has in mind the animal that's being fed extra food, extra food, extra portions, not because they're extra special, but because they're about to be slaughtered. So we have to really take a, a, a really deep inventory of the way that we handle money, you guys. We all deal with it. Um, let me give you a couple of things about it that I think is important for us to understand. Um, there's a lot we can say, but maybe here's a couple of things that will be helpful. Number one, money is not bad, but the love of money is bad, Right? And so I got to be clear about that. Wealth is not wicked. Rich is not wrong. The Bible doesn't say that. Um, as a matter of fact, it says something different. And what we know is that there are a lot of people out there making a lot of money because they're working hard. That's why, right? I mean, they're working wisely and tirelessly and honestly, and they love the Lord wholeheartedly. And so earning money is not bad. It's the love of money. It's the yearning for money that's bad. And God can see that. First Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. That's why they do what they do. That's why they are the way they are. The root of it, not the fruit of it. The real reason is because they're money men. For them, it's all about money. The, the, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Imagine that. You get too much money, you can actually fall away from the Lord, and so that means that when you die, you don't go to heaven, and while you're living on earth, you pierce yourself through with many sorrows. That's what money can do. The love of money, right? Secondly, 1 Timothy 6, 9, it says, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. That'd be a hard way to, to pass, you know, to drown. But some people, they drown. Why? Because it says right here, they desire to be rich. They desire to be rich. If you desire to be rich, then what that does is it provides more temptations in your life. 
I always tell young guys, you know, as they're coming up, and we're living in a crazy world today where it's hard to make ends meet in the society that we live in, you know, and they're, you know, they're young guy and whatever, maybe they just graduated from college or maybe they're still on their way or just whatever, they're going to trade school. And I just know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things shall be added to you. Put God first, he will always provide for you. But if you put money first, I'm telling you, man, there's going to be temptations and you won't be able to be the man of God, the woman of God that God himself has called you to be. The the desire to be rich, he says, is a snare. It's a trap. It's foolish. It's harmful. People die like that. See, it's the love of money that brings us down and it's the desire to be rich that messes us up. So wealth itself, we got to know wealth itself isn't wicked, rich isn't wrong, but it is harder for the rich man, Jesus said in Matthew 19, 23. But you guys know as well as I do, huh? There are some rich people, they can handle it, huh? They still love the Lord and it's not a distraction. How many of you think you're one of those? You're like, well, I can handle it, Lord. <laughs> Probably not, because if you were then you would have had it already i don't know but anyways number one money is not bad the love of money is bad number two if you've been blessed financially i would encourage you to really use those finances to bless others you know for those of you who read this in james you probably recognize that it's similar to something jesus said in matthew 6 19 through 21 Remember what he said, do not lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me ask you a question. Where do you want your heart to be? Here? In the world? Or with the Lord? Your heart. I want my heart to be with God. I want my heart to belong to God. I want him to have all my heart. I want Acts 13, 22, that he be a man after God's own heart. And that means that I can't, you know, be looking just here on earth and laying up treasures here on earth and, you know, storing stuff up just for me and spending money just on me. I have to really have those eyes, man, to prioritize. Lord, where do you want the money to go? And, you know, you give, I have a personal conviction and you guys might disagree with me and that's fine, it's between you and the Lord. But you try to put yourself into a position where you give 10% to God, to give 10% to the church. This is where I get fed. This is my home church. And then, you know, and then you start there and then maybe you start giving to other ministries. You know, you start giving to that ministry over there and just radio ministry and whatever, helping out other people. Next thing you know, uh, there's this great book. If you ever have a chance to read it, it's called The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's a great book. He's talking about how some people reached a point where they were giving 90% to God. Imagine that. Now, again, that's something that the Lord will lead you in. But as far as laying up treasures on earth or laying up treasures in heaven... You lay up treasures on earth, it's going to burn, that's fine. Who knows what your descendants are going to do with it. But you lay up treasures in heaven, and it's there for you. And in one sense, you're, you're rich. That, that's one way you're giving, you're generous, you're helping out the, as the Lord would lead you. 
Another way I think of laying up treasures in heaven is just serving the Lord. Just serving the Lord with a faithfulness and a reckless abandon, you know? I mean, the Lord talks about, you know, people and churches and how the, 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 the world will look at that church over there and they'll say, man, that church is poor. And then, because they, they don't got a lot of money in their bank account, but when Jesus looks at that church, he says, man, that church is rich. And that church over there that everybody thought was so rich, that's not as rich as you might think. So for us, I know as Christians, it's beautiful to know that once you get saved, you are blessed with all the, these riches. You read Ephesians chapter 1, and that's where it begins, and that's where my prayer is that we would continue. You know, Jesus, he kind of balances the negative with the positive. He says, don't just lay up all your treasures on earth. You know, lay it up in heaven. James, he's a little bit more cutthroat. He just stays negative. <laughs> you know, he just says, hey, you rich people, you just start howling, weeping, crying now because one day you're going to burn. That's what James, that's, everybody's different, huh? Some have that approach. You know, we might envy them as they drive their Lamborghinis or mesmerized by their multi-million dollar mansions. The other day I saw some on TV. And, but we got to keep in mind that really at the end of the day, to whom much is given, much is required, Luke 12, 48. So 1 Timothy six seventeen through 18, it says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And so it's interesting, Paul, he basically tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, when you're preaching to the people, tell the wealthy people not to trust in their riches. Tell the wealthy people that they should do good with their gold, that they should be rich in good works. Tell the wealthy people that they should be ready to give, willing to share. Because if they, if they do that, you've got to give them that spiritual insight that if they do that, that they will be rich forever and ever. Otherwise, it's just temporary. Not that generosity or benevolence or good works bring us salvation. It's just that these things, they, they prove our salvation and they, they richen our reward one day. You know, we can discover a lot about our Christian walk by the, the way that we spend our wealth. And so it's a heavy thing. Um, I, I think for us, uh, ultimately, I think what James is talking about is you know, heaven and hell, but there's principles when it comes to money. And I was wondering if you could turn to Luke chapter 16, because I think Jesus kind of uh, illustrates this for us. Luke 16, notice what we read in verse 19. Jesus says, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and he fared sumptuously how often? Every day. This guy had some threads, man. This guy was, was rich. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate. He was one of those homeless dudes, the homeless guys. 
And so Lazarus, it says in verse 21, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. I mean, you know, you got the poor guy, he's reaching in through the gate. He just wants some crumbs. Apparently, the rich man was not helping him out at all, in the least, right? And so um, it's interesting. Verse 21 says that the dogs came and they, and they licked his sores. So he's not only hurting like hungry, but he's hurting physically. The rich guy has just no clue, no compassion. So basically, the rich guy's not saved. He's not giving. He's not willing to share like we just got done talking about, but he thought he had it made in the shade. What a life. What a life. Imagine all, all the travel. Imagine all the, the, the way that you can just get tailored, custom, everything. I mean, it was just amazing. So, so but then what happens, it says in verse 22, so it was that the, the beggar died, and he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, and the rich man also died and was buried. And notice it says in verse 23, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus and he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. Notice he says, for I'm tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented. Besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So he said, "I, I beg you therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment and abraham said to him well they have moses and the prophets let them hear them and he said no father abraham but if one goes to them from the the dead they will repent but he said to them if they do not hear moses and the prophets neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead now this is an interesting story it's not a parable because Jesus would never use specific names in parables. And here he mentions Lazarus by name. He mentions Abraham. And so it's a crazy lesson for us when you look at this. And basically, you know, the rich man who was the wealthy, wicked, the unrighteous rich died. But the poor man who had nothing was a beggar. Apparently, he did have a relationship with God. He was saved. And so, you know, the great equalizer in one sense is we are going to die one day. And then this is before the cross. So when a person died in those days, it was in the center of the earth where they had the two compartments for the righteous and the unrighteous. And there was a chasm between them. And the righteous compartment was referred to as Abraham's bosom because Abraham, in one sense, like the father of the faith. And so when the, the Lazarus died, he was there being comforted. But the rich man, all that money. Imagine what his chariot was like. His clothes, his house, his food, his life. But then he dies. 
and he goes to hell. And all five senses are there. I mean, he can remember, he can feel, he can smell, he can touch. It's all there. And he just says, man, if you could just send Lazarus over here and put his finger in some water and let him just touch my tongue because, you know, then I'll have at least some comfort. And, and you know, Abraham says, we can't. Once you, you die, it's done. And so he says, okay, then, well, can you do me a favor? Can you send him back to my five brothers over there? Because, you know, uh, they, I don't want them to come here. And, and, and Abraham says, well, they have the Bible. It, just them listen to the Bible and they'll be fine. And, you know, it's amazing this conversation has taken place between them. He says, no, if someone comes back from the dead, then they'll believe Jesus has come back from the dead. And yet people still don't believe. I'll bet you, like, you guys probably are the same place that I am, generally speaking, huh? You just want what God wants, huh? Is beans and rice and Jesus Christ? (laughs) That's fine, huh? Some homemade tortillas, a little bit of salsa. I'm good, huh? And if every once in a while I get some filet mignon or every once in a while I get the double-double or just whatever, you know, but there's this balance that we need to have as Christians and there's this examination that we need to take, like what do I do with God's money? Am I, am I one of those? Because in the United States of America, it's very difficult, man. But am I one of those who neglects God, who neglects the calling of God because I have the calling of the world in my life? Because I want to be rich. I want the American dream. Let me say, Judas, it was 30 pieces of silver. There is a price the devil will pay for you to take you off God's path for your life. I'm telling you. So be careful. I mean, it's not only a matter of salvation, it's a matter of sanctification, it's a matter of wisdom, it's a matter of blessing, to be wise with our wealth. You know, back in in James chapter 5, and we'll close uh, real quick, we, we see the wealthy who are wicked and how they need to be warned. But then we see the brethren who are burdened and how James says, be patient. Look, look at verse 7. He says, therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and and latter rain. You also, he says, be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Man, I mean, do you guys believe that the coming of the Lord is at hand? I mean, the signs, we are surrounded by the signs. We are bombarded by the signs. We are living, not just in the signs of the times, but the times of the signs. And things are getting crazy, and it's getting difficult, and there are brothers who are burdened, and there are sisters who are suffering, and there are things that we are going through, and there are wrongs that are being done to us, just straight out wrong. So there might be a temptation to get your eyes off the Lord. There might be a temptation to do things and fight things with the flesh. And God says, don't do that. You've got to wait on the Lord. You've got to be patient because he's coming, right? It's interesting how in verse 7 we have the application. He says, therefore. 
you know, therefore, God's going to deal with these guys. So, therefore, there's application. While these crooks and criminals are fattening their hearts for the slaughter, we Christians are to establish our hearts for the Savior. You know, like the farmer back then, if you can kind of visualize it for a second, they waited for water from God. They didn't just turn on the spigot. You know, they waited for water from God and His seasons and His reasons and and we need to do the same. We need to be patient. We need to, to wait. Right here where he talks about waiting patiently, it's the Greek word that we usually translate long-suffering. You know, we're going to have to suffer long. We're going to have to suffer wrong because of this world that we live in. He doesn't say establish your head with a whole bunch of information. He doesn't say establish your hab- habits. You know, because some people are into that knowledge and stuff and information and, you know, habits and religion. And no, he didn't say that. He says, establish your heart. Establish your heart. And that's very important for us. You know, other translations, it's too bad they say stay firm or take courage. But the Greek word is cardia. And it speaks specifically of the heart. You know, that physical organ that we know is the chief organ of the body and we know really that the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. And so we have to check inside. Lord, am I real? We've got to make sure our heart is right in his sight, that it, it beats the enemy because it beats for God. Is my heart right? We, we can even say, even I think with that, that, that when our hearts are established, it it basically means, because what do we do with our heart? And we use this, right, in romantic settings. I love, I love you. I love you, Lord. You, you establish your heart, and you come back to your first love, and you love God. You trust God. You wait on God. You don't step out in the flesh. You grow in your relationship with him. You're in the word. You're in prayer because why? I want to hear him talk to me. And I want to talk to him and you serve him with whatever role and responsibility you have. You know, you got a family. You take care of your family. And then you've got gifts. Use them. Don't bury them. Only one life, soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do we know that? I pray we would know that. You know, I think it's cool that James is just straight up with us. And some people don't like to, man, you you talked about hell today. (laughs) Some people are like that. I I like the fact that James is straight up. You know, and he just, he has to tell the truth. If if we don't bow our knees to God, then he says, basically, you should weep deep and howl now for the future you've chosen for yourself is the judgment of God. I like the way he's upfront about that. But I also like the way that he, he says that if you're a Christian or a sister suffering, a brother who's burdened, just wait on the Lord because the wait will be worth it. So I wonder, as you guys are here, um, how you're doing in your relationship with God. Prayerfully, you know he loves you and you love him back. If you're wicked, you got to be warned. But if you're righteous, then you got to be patient. And remember this, you guys, that you can always change.
uh, your destination. You guys know that, right? You can make a U-turn and you can receive the forgiveness and the love and the grace and the life and the beauty and the power and all the good things that God has for you right here, right now, in a simple decision. If you wanted to, you could just say, yes, Lord. I, I just, I surrender all to you. I know that you died on a cross and all my sins were put on you and they put you in a grave, but you rose again because you defeated death. And Jesus, I'm here to say that I will follow you today. And, and if you can make that decision, then... Um, you know, you can be forgiven. And today I believe that God will give you a new start. I want to close with one last verse in Isaiah chapter 55, in verse 7. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God will wash you white as snow. God will restore you and justify you just as if you'd never sinned. God will make you perfect and declare you righteous in his holy, omniscient sight. All you have to do is say no to sin and say yes to him. And when you do that, you just come as you are. Don't say, well, well I better fix up my life. I got a couple of things I got to deal with. And, and then, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it because you won't be able to. You won't. Today's a day of salvation. The other day, I'll tell you guys a story real quick. Uh, I had a Keurig uh, maker, coffee cup maker. Any of you guys have one of those? I'm just curious. So it has this thing that kept popping up in the digital we're reading. It said descale. I think it said descale. And it basically was saying that you have to go through and clean it all up because the water, I guess, was messing up the, the system. And, and it's been, like, bugging me for, like, the last six months, and I haven't done it. Every time I make a cup of coffee, it says, descale, descale. And so finally, I went, we bought this stuff to put it in, but I didn't read the directions. And so you know how guys are, right? And so... <laughs> I, uh, I went on YouTube and I saw this dude and he had like a million views. I'm sure I'm, like, I'm sure this guy knows how to do it. I don't feel like reading the directions. And I ended up the whole thing, there was smoke in our kitchen. <laughs> so um, don't buy me one though because I already got one. I know how people are. So anyways, <laughs> um, it was a lesson for me. It was a lesson for me. Because sometimes things need to be fixed. Sometimes things need to be done. Sometimes things need to be cleansed. And we want to do it our own way. And we can't. We can't. You just have to come to Jesus as you are. You got to do it his way. It's the only way. Otherwise, you're going to break it. (laughs) You're going to ruin it. I remember when I got saved, I was all messed up. And I just came to the Lord. And this miracle took place in my life. And so just in case you're here and you've drifted away, you need to come back, or maybe you've never really made that decision, I pray that today you would. And so, Lord, thank you again for loving us. Thank you for your promise to abundantly pardon. 
And Lord, I do pray for everyone here that you just bless them in every way, Father. We're talking about a wide scale of things from uh, being just and, Lord, um, being wise with our, with our wealth or sometimes we're hurting how we need to wait on you. A lot of different things, Lord. But ultimately, the most important thing is our relationship with you. And so, Lord, I pray for these beautiful people. I pray they would know their love they're loved. And if there's anyone here, Lord, that needs to make that decision to follow you, I pray that today they would. And just real quick, you guys, before we close, everybody just eyes closed, heads down, and praying. If there is anyone here who, who you, you know, you need to take some type of step. You're like, I want to get right with God. I need to get right with God. I need prayer. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Somehow, some way, there has to be an expression of faith. Thank you, Lord. Anyone else? Thank you, Lord. It's between you and God. He'll meet you here. We'll pray for you. You start a new life. Anyone else? Oh, Lord, thank you for the hands that have gone up, Lord, and thank you for the work that you're doing, Lord. I pray these people, Lord, beautiful people would know your love and how when the prodigal son came back, Lord, that the father ran to him and he put a ring on his hand, a robe and sandals, and and Lord, he threw a celebration because that's your love. I pray, Father, that you would help us to be able to go forward from this day uh, beyond in a right relationship with you, that you'd establish our hearts and that you would continue to work in every person here. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Let's all stand together. I pray you guys have an amazing, awesome week. You guys know that when you go out those doors, you're missionaries. You guys know that? You have to go into the highways and byways and valleys and alleys and streets and meet the people that God wants you to share his son with. You guys know that, right? We're talking in every form. I pray that you be blessed. I pray that you go out and you would enjoy your relationship with God. And as we're talking today, Lord, what do I do with the the panties and dollars and stuff that I have? Just be sensitive. At the end of the day, it's just being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And he will lead you and he will bless you, okay?